Hello, Metro Augusta. Hello, Georgia. And hello, wherever you are. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the November 1st edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. As always, today's show is brought to you as a service of my consulting firm, and that is Janice Allen Jackson and Associates, where we proudly provide services to local government and nonprofit organizations. If you have not already, please follow the Local Matters Podcast of Georgia on Facebook, and please subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is also called the Local Matters Podcast of Georgia. When you follow and subscribe, that lets you know that lets us know that you support our efforts and it also makes it easier for you to get notifications when we post information and new episodes. As you are very much aware, early voting has begun in the state of Georgia. And as I indicated last week, and I will reiterate today, turnout here in Richmond County has actually been higher than what I anticipated. As of Monday, October 30th, 1,900 people have voted and or turned in their absentee ballots. And the all-time highest voting day was this past Monday where 305 people voted or their ballots were returned. I see that voting has picked up now that the other early voting sites have opened up. Started out just with downtown at the Linda Beasley Room, uh, now Charles Evans Community Center, the Robert Howard Community Center, and the Warren Road Community Center have been added. So this is a good trend, folks, and please continue to get out and vote. And Facebook family, I had a couple of conversations with people this weekend that led me to believe that there is some misunderstanding about the purpose of local matters. If you listen on a regular basis, you know that we do not endorse candidates and we do not take positions on issues. Uh, we're here just to provide information so that you are better equipped and more knowledgeable when it's time for you to make voting decisions. Also, there was one other event that took place, and that was something that was posted on Facebook by one of the candidates for mayor of Grovetown. As we indicated last week when we ran that episode, uh, there are three candidates. Only two of them responded to my invitation to appear on the show. Uh, I found out via Facebook that the third candidate had accused me of not inviting him. Um, he made that Facebook post. He later checked and found that my invitation to him that had gone into his spam file. So just want to say that um, because we always invite every single candidate. It's not our position to stack the deck in either way, in any way. It's not our intent to misrepresent the elections that are upcoming. So just want to make that clear. Uh, we're just here to provide information. That's our only reason for existing because we want you to be able to make good decisions for yourself. Thanks so much for being a part of the family and be blessed. Local Matters listeners, we have a new member of the Local Matters family joining us today. She is Miss Bethany Trapp, and she is going to talk to us about 
uh, some of what we've heard about the homeless task force that was started here in Augusta. Um, and while this is an Augusta issue, uh, it's also a national issue because every community or almost every community in our country is dealing with homelessness to some degree. Uh, so I think this episode will prove to be informative to people throughout the country who are more interested in what has been done and what can be done uh, to uh, prevent homelessness and to provide services to those who are in that situation. Hi, tell me. Uh, a little bit about your job, first off, because I know that there are a lot of people in the community who are working on this issue, and the average resident ha doesn't have a clue of what those jobs are and what those people are doing on a daily basis. So if you can help us get started by letting me know what you do every day. So... Um... My job specifically is to provide coordinated entry services. Um, so I work for CSRA EOA and we, that agency operates several different programs, but coordinated entry is one. And coordinated entry, the, the purpose of that is to make those connections for clients to programs that they desperately need, housing, mental health, employment, medical. Um, and we foster those partnerships and those relationships for those clients. Um, so we basically, we assess them and have a conversation and figure out what's going on. Like, why are you homeless? What's keeping you here? And what's keeping you from starting to stabilize? And what we have learned since doing this for six years now is Homelessness touches everybody. There is not a single education level or professional level that it hasn't touched. Um, we've had professionals who are nurses actively working who have gone through homelessness and come through our center. We have had um, some older individuals who had some very high clearance and down to the has some mental health issues and family has has done everything they could and so they just kind of said put their hands up and said I, I can't do this for you anymore and you're gonna have to do this on your own and um it's it's not an easy job to do it's not easy to hear some of these stories sometimes. Um, but what we do is we listen to that story as hard as it is sometimes to get down to the root of it. Do they have insurance? Do they have food stamps? Um, do they have a place to take a bath? Do they have a place to lay their head at night? Um, do they have a criminal history? Do they have an ID and a social security card? Can they work? Uh, do they have children? Have their children been put in the system because of their homelessness. There's just, there's a lot of different scenarios that affect those who are at risk of, or actually in an experiencing homelessness. So we have to listen to all of that and get to the root of the problem so that we can bring them towards stabilization. Okay. There are a couple of things before we go any further. You use the acronym CSRA, Central Savannah River, area. Yes. EOA. What does EOA stand for? 
Economic Opportunity Authority Incorporated. Okay. And how long have you been a part of the staff there? So <laughs> I have been with EOA since 2008. I started as an AmeriCorps VISTA. And then in 2009, they decided they really liked me. And so they basically created position and said, hey, we want you to be full time with us. And so I have been full time on staff since March 2009. OK, all right. Very good. And if you always worked in homelessness or were you doing some other things prior to this role? So I started out in foreclosure prevention. And so I was working with the homeowners who had gotten behind in their um, their mortgage and needed to do some modifications to their loan or they needed to kind of stave off the foreclosure itself. And I had an opportunity to move into transitional housing. And I worked in that for about, I want to say it was about eight years um, and I worked with roughly 14 families who had come out of homelessness and were stably housed for 24 months. And we worked on goals and self-sufficiency and moved them towards stabilization. And then when coordinated entry came along, I started doing coordinated entry. So jack of all trades. But yes, at some point we have always touched those um, facing homelessness specifically. Okay. And uh, when you say coordinated entry, mm -hmm. tell us what that is. Because again, our audience, most time, most of us are just lay people. So they yep. don't know bureaucratic terms for these things. Tell us what coordinated entry is. So coordinated entry is the brainchild of HUD. HUD said in roughly 2015, 2016, that if a community is receiving HUD funding, then there must be one place that the homeless and those at risk of homelessness could go to access services. And because Augusta Richmond County does receive HUD funding, um, EOA decided we wanted that program. We wanted to operate it and run it. And um, so we've been operating it since 2017. So there was a, a grant period where people put in or agencies put in their uh, bids basically of, hey, we want to do that program. And Augusta Richmond County and CSRA EOA were awarded the grant. Um, so coordinated entry is, is basically that coordination effort of connecting people with the programs they need to rehouse. So if an agency is receiving HUD funding for rapid rehousing, which can generally take care of first month's rent and deposit, they have to get that referral from the coordinated entry program. And so we basically vet that client by saying they've identified a landlord and that landlord is willing to accept the assistance on behalf of the client and they get a first month's rent and deposit assistance. Um, I have not come across any other HUD funding programs that we could refer them to. So rapid rehousing is mostly where we we focus right now. Um, but I'm always looking for other programs and other uh, partnerships to foster and build because that's the only way we're going to eradicate homelessness for each person that comes into our center and comes into the shelter. Um, because homelessness is biblical. So we're never going to be able to eradicate homelessness 
worldwide. It's just never going to happen. As much as we would all love that to be a reality, it's not. Um, but we can do it one person at a time, one situation at a time. And that coordination of effort is the best way to do it. Because you never know what somebody else might be able to offer that person who is maybe just one step before being stabilized or 10 steps before being stabilized. So the, that coordination effort is huge for every client. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you so much for explaining that. I just want to make sure that our listeners understand exactly um, where you're coming from and where the Absolutely. money you talked about a federal grant and that sort of thing. And yes, Augusta is a, a HUD entitlement community. Yes. Um, yes. So yes, we receive a formula based allocation of, of uh, federal dollars for various programs to include homelessness every year. And again, more background information for our listeners. Now, as you talk about that coordination and how important it is to work with other agencies that seems to be the, the root of your job. Um, so several questions. First off, it seems like, I don't know if there are more homeless people in Augusta now or just they're getting more attention than they used to get. Which which is it? Because now in the news, we'll see um, stories about the homeless task force, which we're going to get into, um, news about more homeless people on uh, Washington Way, news about the Augusta Commission considering a um, panhandling ordinance. There's a lot of issues related to homelessness that I'm just wondering, is it more of them? Are they just more visible? Or is it just that people are finally talking about and trying to provide some solutions for those who happen to be homeless? I think it's all three, actually. Um, so... We definitely have more homeless in the community than we have had in the past. Um, from So we, we have a count every year that HUD requires e each community to do, I believe it's on even years. Um, Augusta just chooses to do it every year so that we have an accurate count every time and we have that data to draw on. Um, but last year, and I'm going to, probably get these numbers wrong. I know I have this year's right, but last year's may be wrong. I want to say we were around the 468 range and this year we're around 586. So each year we have what's called a point in time count and that is a count on a singular night in January that is historically nationwide the coldest night of the year. Um, and we go out, we start at 10, 11 o'clock at night, and we just canvassed the entire city in one night, and we talked to people, we asked them some questions, we give them blessing bags or resource bags, um, and then we enter that information into the system, and that's used for grants, because that's a question, how many people are homeless in your community during the pit count, and we have that number. Um, I do want to say that they're more visible now, and I think they're more visible because there's more of them. So their, their hiding places are often taken over by others. Um, so their encampments, their places where they go for solace, um, people are moving into them 
And so they have to go find another place. And then there's just, there's more crime that comes with homelessness because they're desperate. They're in crisis. Um, and people are starting to talk about it more because they're noticing it more. Um, you said that it was on the news a lot more, and that is absolutely true. Channel 12 actually went out with us when we started getting information for the homeless count, and they were boots on the ground with us for about three months. And so they saw what we saw. And it was very eye-opening for me. Um, I had been around homeless folks because that's what I do. Um, but it's a little bit different when you go into what is their living room and you hear their story and you hear about their community. Um, so yeah, it's, it's all three at this point. And it's, um, I would love to see it continue to grow steam. And instead of people being frustrated about it, be willing to help us with the solutions. Okay, great, great. And let's start talking solutions. Um, Augusta started a homeless task force probably, has it been two years now? Yeah. Seems like it was a while back. Yeah, but so I, there was a planning stage and then yeah. the last two years it's been in action. Okay, because I actually had Commissioner Dennis Williams on earlier on at the outset of that process. Mm -hmm. So tell me, of all the things that have been discussed and done, what do you think are some of the more significant things that have come out of the homeless task force? Um, awareness for one. So we, I've, I've been on the street for three years, um, talking to folks and interviewing them and trying to be creative in solutions and questions. And I think one of the things is we started actually asking them, what do you need? How can we help you? Um, and so we started actually listening to the people who were needing the assistance instead of telling them, hey, this is what you need. You need a house. You need a job. You need this. You need that. Um, because we wouldn't like it as a stable individual who is housed and employed and whatever. So they don't like it either. And so now we're listening to them and we're questioning them like, how can we help you better? Um, and some of those things were simply a bus ticket to be able to get to appointments. Um, sometimes it was, where are the actual resources? Because we did encounter a lot of folks who were not familiar with the area who were experiencing homelessness here in Augusta. Um, so we've been trying to usher people downtown, which is where all the services are, and letting them know what days that uh, different programs are happening. So, you know, every Sunday, Compass for Hope does their event um, in the parking lot at the uh, JBA. And then, um, oh, my goodness, the... There's a ministry that's up under, under the bridge ministries <laughs> um, on Saturdays. And then the Salvation Army has an event every, the last Friday of every month. Gap Ministry provides services every Thursday. So letting them know that those services are happening so they know where to go is important too. Um, in the, the homeless task force, there has been some movement on, creating better services for them. So meaning um, 
taking what they need to them instead of telling them, hey, get to this place at this time so that you can do this. It's, it's really starting to move in the direction of bring those services to the clients. Um, so we're working with GAP Ministries on way that we ways that we can do that when we do our street outreach so that if it's someone who needs to fill out an application for a birth certificate or whatnot, that we can try and usher them towards that a little bit closer. Um, I started recently, we finally managed to get hooked in with a um, company that does the affordable connectivity program. So basically it's a free tablet or a free phone that gives them that internet option. And so they can, go towards employment, they can look for family members, they can apply for benefits. Um, and there's just a lot of other things that we've started working on that uh, the Tiny Home Initiative has been um, continually been worked on. There's, I know there's some discussion about it in the commission and uh, with Sean Edwards, who is the chair for that group. Um, so I mean, it's, it's People expect change to happen very quickly. And the fact of the matter is it's a slow moving process because there are logistics that have to be worked out in any matter. Um, we have to make sure that we're respecting the human rights of everyone involved. We have to make sure that laws are followed. We have to make sure that there's funding available um, so while people do get frustrated because there's not an immediate creation of, um, response, it does take time. Uh, the Salvation Army is still working on their, uh, building a new shelter that is supposed to increase the capacity of beds available. So there are a lot of things happening. It's just not today, <laughs> but we're getting yeah. there. Um, it took two years to get to this point. It'll be another two years and God knows what can happen then. And we just hope that it's going to be um, more, most beneficial for the homeless community, for sure. Okay. New, new shelter. Somebody, has the Salvation Army already selected a location for that? Is it at the current facility or is it going to be somewhere else? Now, that part, I really don't know. Um, okay. I do know that they're they're working on all of that. They're getting ready for the capital campaign, I believe. Um, but they were told we need a new shelter and they, they jumped on it and they started working on it. So, um, I know I've been involved in several conversations of what services they were looking at to provide there. And, um, I really, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a great facility. Okay. All right. Um, and you mentioned Salvation Army. Um, I was driving by yesterday. Um, and I have to admit, I got really depressed, almost embarrassed. Um, and and I'll, I'll compare this now. I was in Portland, Oregon a couple of years ago for a conference. And I was horrified, saddened. Um, you can add to the list of adjectives there because there were tents on every sidewalk on the side of the river that I was on, the sort of the river sort of separates downtown Portland and the side where my hotel was, it was every sidewalk you look at them and you know, there were just tents 
everywhere. So literally thousands of people who were living in these encampments on public sidewalks in downtown Portland. And it's just really, really just shocking almost to that degree and to a degree. And then, of course, you know, I'm not used to seeing that here. But yesterday, as I was driving by, I passed the, the field there. I, I don't know if it belongs to the Salvation Army. It does. It's but, Salvation okay. Army property. Okay. It, it belongs there. And there were a few tents set up. And I would say a few, you know, it was three or four of them. It wasn't yeah. anything like, you know, everywhere, literally tents on top of tents in Portland, uh, where I was. But it was still kind of shocking to me to see that. And then, of course, I saw one or two people that were not in the tents. They were just kind of sitting on the ground. Looked like it was a woman. Looked like she was having a meal. Um, and I was, I was just embarrassed to be here. And like you said, it is uh, definitely true. The poor will be with us always. That's scriptural. Um, but it, it it just sent a, sh a shock wave through my system, and I couldn't even look at her. I was just I was just focused on the, at the traffic light, but it, it just it just really really did something to me to see somebody in that condition. Is that what our future in Augusta looks like? I mean, are there? And then and the other thing too, I hear some people say, I want to connect the dots here, and then I want to hear your response because you deal with this every day. Um, I actually listened to a presentation at my neighborhood association meeting just a few days before that, where a representative of the sheriff's office uh, talked about how some people are typically homeless by choice. You know, he gave an example of a relative of his who wanted to live out in the woods with his dogs and didn't want, you know, a traditional apartment or home to live in. So what do you see? What, what what do you see now? What do you see as causes? What do you see as the future uh, in our Augusta area based upon all of the people that you talk to on a regular basis? So I would love to say that in the next few years, we're going to bring that, that number down. Um, but the fact of the matter is homelessness in Augusta is exacerbated by a lack of available funding, a lack of affordable housing stock. Um, and then there is, there, there is a very small, very small group of folks. Um, and I can almost name 10 of them by name, um, who they do choose that way of life. Um, there are a couple of movies that are really good examples of this industry, basically. So Shawshank Redemption is one. Um, Shawshank Redemption, basically, you know, it's a great story about the camaraderie that's built in prison and whatnot. But what I take away from that is the little old guy who has been in prison his entire life. And he gets released on parole or he served out his time and he goes to this halfway house and he goes to work at the grocery store and bags the groceries. He's 80 something years old and he does not know how to exist outside of those prison walls. The same is true for our homeless. We have housed and seen people get housed that have been homeless for years, months, years, years, years. And they may have 
Ben House for a moment. And it, a moment in time for them is a month or two. And then they walked away from that unit, the, from that apartment, that free home and chose homelessness. We've seen that happen twice. Um, because when you take a person who has lived in the streets for as long as they have, and they don't have a bill, they have the night sky, they have sunshine every day, um, they know where to get shelter when it's raining or bad weather, and you put them in four walls with a window and a door, and even though they know they can come in and out of that, those walls and that that ceiling starts to cave in on them, and that's when they go back out. So institutionalization doesn't just happen from people who have been in prison. It happens to our homeless who have been out there for a minute. Um, if we had more affordable stock in housing, that would be great. That is a huge contributor right now of why we have so many homeless on the street because people just cannot afford on the very little income they have right now that could be full-time, could be part-time. Um, they can't afford a $1,400 a month rent plus utilities, plus food, plus transportation, plus whatever they need to pay for their child. And that's, that's including if they get benefits. Um, so it's, it's not affordable when you have a family of seven or a family of two um, I sat down one day and did the math for myself, just if, if life really kicked me in the teeth and I had to go about it on my own, I would not be able to afford on my own with two children. I would not be able to afford these rental prices right now. I would have to double up with somebody and share rent and just risk it because I can't afford $1,400 a month for a three-bedroom home. Um, rent for a three-bedroom home roughly before COVID, we'll just say before COVID, was in the $800 to $1,000 range. Um, Fox Den Apartments, you know, a, a year or two ago, they went from $500 a month rent to around $800. And so there were about 60 units that were emptied because the people who lived in them were on limited income and they could not afford to live there anymore. And the new owner was re requiring that people who came in made three times the rent. Well, if you make 914 a month, you can't afford that. Um, so now they have evictions on their records. Um, so it's when you don't have the available stock and you make it so that it's the system is set against them, homelessness is going to continue to, to grow. Um, and you asked me another question and I hope I answered it, but I don't think I did. Yeah. yeah Cause yeah. You, and you got into some really interesting stuff, but yeah, I was going that you talked about the future, mm -hmm. um, the, the idea of the, the tents, I mean, are we just going to see those? Should we get used to seeing folks in tents in public spaces? I think for now, yeah, we need to accept that. 
Um, I think if more folks went out West or even to Washington, DC, they would absolutely be horrified. Oh yeah. Like I was, I, I was like, Oh my, you know, what yeah. in the world, what have we become that, you know, down the downtown sidewalks aligned with tents. Yeah. We, uh, I went to a homeless conference in Oakland, California in February, February, March. And, uh, I had never seen in my entire life as many homelesses homeless as I saw just in Oakland. And mm-hmm. I went across the bridge to San Francisco several times, but, um, in, in Oakland, homelessness doesn't just look like uh, random people walking down the street. There are, like you said, the tents that are lining the sidewalks and mm-hmm. RVs. Mm-hmm. And there was, and I took a picture of it and I wish I still had it. Um, up under one of the overpasses was a gate and it said no camping, no loitering. And then behind that fence, was I swear no less than a hundred tents because where else do you send them? Uh, And that's, that's also the big question is what do you do with these folks? There are three shelters in town. I know Salvation Army. What are the other two? uh, Garden City Rescue and Augusta Rescue. And those two serve men only. Okay. So there is one shelter that is first come first serve basis as as available availability allows for women and families with children. There is a second family shelter that is um, I say it's on an interview basis. You get on a wait list and they interview you. And if they determine that you're going to be a good fit for the program or they have the room, then you get accepted into that program. Um, but essentially, there's there's three shelters in town okay. to service 568 people or 587 okay. people. And then you, you you touched on something. You said they serve men. Mm-hmm. So is there, if for a, a woman with children or intact family with kids, is there any place for them to go? Salvation Army. Salvation Army does take. Yes, they do have family rooms Mm -hmm. um, and we're seeing a growing number of families presenting as homeless and needing assistance at the shelter. That's definitely growing. So, yeah, we should get used to it for a minute um, and then get mad and then figure out how to help. And the best way to help is to donate to your. Your specific agency. I say, <laughs> please donate to CSRA EOA um, mm-hmm. under the general fund so that we can start really providing some additional resources because not everybody falls in the poverty line. Mm-hmm. Um, we have several who make just above. They're still in crisis, but they make just above that poverty line and we can't serve them. And that's sad. Yeah, I'm sure that that is very frustrating. Um, Also, tell me this. You start off the conversation talking about how you connect people to resources. Um, If you could wave a magic wand and you were allowed to create any resources that you wanted to, 
what would you change? What new resources would you make available to get folks connected with? So um, Oklahoma City had a program under their Oklahoma City Lights. And basically what it was, was it was a transitional housing hotel. They took a hotel. It, I think it was like a former Holiday Inn or something. And all of those rooms. So just think about all of those rooms that a hotel has. And they filled them up. Some of them were doubled up. And they provided case management on site. They had laundry facilities. They provided a family atmosphere. So they had family game night. They had tutoring sessions. They did, they didn't make everybody come in all at the same time. The one requirement to be there was you had to be active in your case management. So you had to meet with your case manager once a week. And you, you had goals, you had to get things done. And every week somebody got housed every week, somebody got a job every week, somebody completed their next goal towards stabilization. Mm -hmm. If we could get two of the older hotels and people to agree to come in and hold life skills classes and after work, work with these folks on what their actual needs are. Um, not just the income, but building a resume, um, studying for school because everybody doesn't have great study skills. Everybody doesn't know how to, what's the first step to get a job. Some people think, Oh, I just go find a place and do an application. Well, first you got to do the research then you got to build your resume and then you do. So, you know, there's different you steps. Gotta you got to learn how to do an interview because if you haven't done one. Exactly. You know. Exactly. So it's, it's those things. And I think if, if we just grabbed everybody on the street and put them in these hotels and said, okay, you come in and tell us what your need is. And we're going to start working on that. And then bring mental health where they provide services on site. And thanks for mentioning that, because that, that was a, the next question. I was going to get into the need for mental health treatment. Yeah, um, but bring mental health there. Have clinics come in and do um, not just vital checks, but if you need to get a prescription refill done, you can do it there. Now, you're going to have to go to the pharmacy to get it refilled, but you can have that appointment and then get your prescription and go get it filled. Um, someone to sit down and say... All right, kids, everybody sit down. We're going to do your homework while your parents work on school, while they fill out job applications, while they take five minutes because they're human. They need five minutes to themselves. They, they need to go to the bathroom alone. Um, but then to also have support groups. And I don't mean the structured support groups, just, you know, being able to sit down and say, man, let me tell you what happened today. Because that feels so good to me. And to be able to say, well, this is what I experienced. It's the same. It's a community. And when you start doing that and you start bringing them together and having them work together, they start to respect each other. They start to work together. They start using their skills to help other people, not realizing they're empowering themselves. 
and they're stabilizing as well. Um, but that's my magic wand. Just make, make it where every service that they need goes to them instead of us saying, all right, go over here and do that. Go over here and do that. And then at three o'clock next Tuesday, when the, the, the sun is at its highest point, go over there. That frustrates me so bad. Um, so with mental health, we they do have some uh, case managers that come over from Serenity for the shelter, but um, they're not clinicians. They are uh, case managers. But what would be awesome is if we had a clinician on staff that could diagnose and guide and um, do the things that those clients actually need versus saying, hey, the second Tuesday of every month, I'm going to need you to remember to go to this appointment on Mike Padgett Highway mm-hmm. or go fight the system over at AUMC. And there's nothing wrong with those systems. It's just not built for the homeless individual who doesn't live by a calendar and doesn't wear a watch. And generally doesn't know what day it is. Right. They know it's Saturday when nobody comes to work. Yeah. Got it. Got it. This has been a very enlightening conversation. And I thank you for your work. Um, Before we close out, is there anything else you want to share with our Local Matters family? I would just like to say, just remember to offer grace. When you encounter a homeless person, Um, some of the best conversations I have had in the last 14 years have been with my homeless friends on the street. Um, They're the most resourceful group of people you will ever meet. Um, And a lot of them just have the biggest hearts and hearts of gold and souls that just they light you up when you talk to them. Um, and those are the, the folks that keep you going. Um, I apologize about to start crying about it. Um, because those folks are the reason I do what I do. Um, my favorite thing right now is on Mondays. Um, when I come to work, there's a gaggle of people in the front of this building who are just waiting to talk. Um, and they know I'm going to come out there and they're just like, Hey, Miss Bethany, I got a question. Hey, Miss Bethany, what do I do? Hey, Miss Bethany, let me tell you something that happened. Um, and that's how I start my week right now. And it's, um, it's my favorite part of the day and it's my favorite part of the week. And, um, so just, just offer some grace and remember everybody has a trial and a tribulation and we don't always know the backstory. But we get a chance every day to be somebody's new chapter. So um, you never know how you might be able to help somebody. Uh, Thank you so much, Bethany, for being a guest. Um, As I referenced earlier, you're now part of the Local Matters family uh, because you've been on. And um, uh, just for everybody, Bethany is a program coordinator with the Central Savannah River Area Economic Opportunity Authority. And um, she works directly with our our homeless population, trying to get them coordinated to services. So we appreciate that work because I was sitting here thinking everybody couldn't do that. You know, we don't have the grace. We don't have the patience. 
Um, so it takes a different type of person, a special type of person to be able to do the work that you have been doing. So thank you very much for your contributions to our community. Thank you. Um, but I, I wear no halo. <laughs> I get frustrated too, <laughs> but, um, I learned from the best and, um, I'm not sure if you were familiar with Miss Linda Bars, but, um, she mentored me for 14 years. She recently passed away in April of this year. And she is actually the reason I sit in the seat that I sit in right now. And I do the things that I do, um, because she showed me her passion for serving the homeless in our community. And that it's not always about the big picture. Sometimes it's the little things that matter most. So, um, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. All right. Take care. So Thank you. You too. I certainly hope you enjoyed that with Bethany Trapp of the Central Savannah River Area Economic Opportunity Authority. Um, please join Local Matters next week. I will do one of my favorite things, and that is the election wrap-up episode. Uh, we'll discuss what happened in Burke, Richmond, and Columbia counties. We'll talk about uh, how you felt about what was on the ballot and give some uh, feedback as to why I think things went the way that they did. Be blessed and thanks so much for being a part of the family. I close with my favorite Bible verse, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. or Thursday at 7 p.m. here on 103.7 FM or 1600 AM. Or please go to SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts at any time because local matters.